This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and cents on BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to Ringgit and cents, the show that's all about personal finance. I'm Roshan Kanisen. Back in 1889, German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck invented the idea of retirement, establishing the concept for the rest of us. But there is one big difference between 1889 Germany and the world we live in today. The average lifespan back then was just 43 years. All in all, retirement is still a relatively young concept in the scale of human history. So with that in mind, is it still realistic? To help me with this existential discussion is Rajan David Dawson, CEO of RD Wealth Creation and Licensed Financial Planner with Manulife Investment Management Malaysia, Berhad. Rajan, welcome back to the show. Hi, Roshan. Thank you for having me. Rajan, is retirement as we think of it today still a valid concept? I believe it is. Um, I actually teach a public webinar uh, on retirement, uh, teach it probably once every couple of months. And I actually, um, right at the beginning, I actually have a picture of Chancellor Bismarck. <laughs> so he actually was influential. And you were absolutely right. 1889 was the year in which uh, a major nation rolled out the concept of retirement. So to answer your question, yes, retirement is viable simply because there is no choice. But I honestly believe that personal responsibility is massively required to be able to raise the odds of actually having a retirement that is comfortable. Each of us needs to take responsibility for building our own golden nest egg. Um, if we if we aspire to have anything better than a subsistence level retirement. And that's what we want. None of us wants to basically be uh, striving and scraping for decades while we work, only to find that when we retire, we then have to drop our lifestyle significantly. So personal responsibility is crucial. And um, bottom line is, nobody else is going to do it for us. We have to take responsibility. So, as I noted in the show last week, I did some math on this, right? Being the uh, ever paranoid person that I am, I was trying to find a ballpark number for my own retirement. And I assumed things like a 2% inflation rate, a 3% rate of retirement, a uh, rate of return during retirement, and a 25-year lifespan from the date of retirement. And so someone who wants to retire and live on a monthly inflation-adjusted 4,000 ringgit a month will need around 2.2 million ringgit, Rajan. Um, that's not even taking into the into consideration possible healthcare costs or even assisted living if we don't age well. With that in mind, and with the median being, I think the median salary now is like 3,300 ringgit in Malaysia, it looks like the concept of retirement is being challenged, right? Or at least the way we think about it today in terms of, oh, I'm going to retire and live off this nest egg uh, till I die. Um, do you think we should be rethinking that model? Those are very good questions. I'd like to uh, take a very deep dive into the scenario that you've built, um, and then I will actually move on and, and answer the, the broader issues. But you said that you did some math. Um, I haven't cross-checked your math, but basically you've assumed 2% inflation, 3% rate of return, and a 25-year lifespan. So I want to deal with each one at a time, each one of those at a time. Um, when you talk about the 2% inflation rate, I'm assuming that you are assuming that the national CPI, the Consumer Price Index for Malaysia, will run at an average of 2%. I'm assuming that, that that's the case. However, when it comes to figuring out the hard numbers for retirement, 
each of us needs to start with the national CPI, regardless of where we live. So if we live in Sweden, then we look at the CPI there. If we live in Singapore, we look at the CPI there. Obviously, for the bulk of us in Malaysia, we look at CPI here. But what's more important in retirement is not the national inflation rate, but it's actually your personal inflation rate. Mm. And typically what will happen is because CPI is generally tracked by each country's central bank on the basis of a basket of goods and services that are deemed to be representative, um, only problem is nobody's lifestyle matches the basket. And so for those of us who um, are urban Malaysians, uh, 2% is not going to cut it. Our personal inflation rates will be higher. It's quite possible that our personal inflation rates, maybe 3%, 4%, 5%, can be quite tough. And the core problem with your analysis is that you're looking at a 3% rate of return. But I also understand why you're saying that. Throughout 2020, Bank Nagara slashed interest rates four times. Our OPR dropped from three percentage points to uh, 1.75. So the reason that you are assuming a very low rate of return in retirement is because we are in a very low interest rate environment. I fully understand that. But you must also remember that there is something called the risk premium. Mm -hmm. And so short answer is you asked whether or not 2.2 million is realistic. It's not. It's not realistic for Malaysians and it's even not realistic for people who live in wealthier countries because average people just simply can't set aside that kind of money. Therefore, the solution is this. People need to commit to real self-education. Remember I started off by saying that mm -hmm. it is personal responsibility. Well, self-education is crucial. And I'm not telling everyone to embrace the idea of high-risk investments and speculations and all that kind of stuff, not at all. But I am saying that over the course of the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, regardless of whether you're already a retiree, whether retirement is impending, whether you're still very, very young in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, since I, I, I will turn uh, 57, God willing, next month, uh, for me, 40 is young, but for a lot of listeners, <laughs> it might not be. Um, but what we need to understand is how various risk premia play a role in diversified portfolios. And so I, um, I, I basically took you to task just now for 2% <laughs> inflation assumption. My, uh, my belief is that it should be higher. I think we've covered that. And with regard to the 3% rate of return, uh, honestly speaking, we have no choice. Um, if our money is going to last us throughout our retirement, people need to self-educate. They need to learn about diversified portfolio investing. Diversification is just a short but fancy investment term for not putting all your eggs in one basket. People need to learn about diversifying across different asset classes. They need to really think about diversifying across different geographic regions and they need to diversify the entry of their capital over a very long timeline. So are you essentially saying, Rajan, that I should be targeting more in that sense by diversifying my portfolio to aim for a 4 or 5% rate of return during the retirement time? Am I being too conservative with that number? I believe that your initial selection of 3% was justified given the low interest rate environment we're in. But yes, 
I, I am suggesting that people need to start looking for higher yield. So um, your question was, is retirement realistic? My short answer, having waffled on for a long time, <laughs> my short answer is no, it's not. Not with a 3% rate of return. Therefore, market risk must be accepted and this necessitates self-education. More on this and the target rate of return during retirement in just a bit. Keep it here to Ring It and Sense on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Ring It and Sense, the show that's all about personal finance. I'm Roshan Karnison. This morning, I'm speaking with Rajan Devadasan, CEO of RD Wealth Creation. So Rajan, following up from earlier, essentially retirement isn't achievable if you're not going to take risk. If I'm being too safe and too cautious, ironically, I risk not being able to retire, right? Yes, I think you've got it in a nutshell. So when I uh, teach at uh, you know webinars, workshops, seminars, conferences, uh, and then when I really go into a deep dive when I am educating the clients of my practice, I use two different retirement models. Uh, One is called capital liquidation. The other one is called capital preservation. Now what you were talking about, you know, in terms of, you know, you set aside so much money, this is your uh, imputed inflation rate. This is your assumed uh, rate of return. Uh, And you you said 3% and I said, it's not gonna work. Simply can't make life uh, we can't craft a, a decent retirement on such low numbers. Um, then basically for what you described, it comes under capital liquidation because you're talking about the money lasting 25 years. And so uh, under capital liquidation, when I'm explaining this to clients, I model for them capital drawdown rates ranging from 4.5% to 6% per annum. Usually what I do is I structure for my clients quarterly withdrawals. So if, um, I think intuitively you will understand this, if your drawdown rate is lower, the money will last longer. Mm -hmm. But obviously your quality of life in retirement will also be lower because you're not blowing through cash that quickly. So my very rough estimates assume that with a 4.5% um, drawdown rate, uh, the retirement fund should last 20 to 25 years. And with a 6% drawdown rate, uh, retirement uh, funding may only last about 12 years or so. Now that's capital liquidation. It requires less capital than obviously capital preservation. With capital liquidation, the definition of success is you die with your last ringgit spent and your children pay for your funeral. I don't mean to be facetious, that's (laughs) literally what it means. And with capital preservation, you start with a much larger capital sum, but your drawdown is lower. Um, At the moment, I use a 4% annual drawdown rate. And if the capital preservation portfolio lasts, sorry, if the capital preservation portfolio works the way it's supposed to, the way it's modeled, then your money will last in perpetuity. And in fact, at the point of demise, you will, in nominal terms, you will have actually a larger pool of cash, of not cash, a pool of assets than you did at the beginning. Because by only drawing out 4% per year, but hopefully over the long run, generating uh, CAGA, compounded annualized growth rates of 5% or 6% or 7%, etc. You have an imputed retention rate within the portfolio, which allows for capital growth. 
And so when a capital preservation portfolio works well, it'll last in perpetuity. Uh, but only God knows the future. We don't. And so if it doesn't, if it doesn't uh, work well, then it should last at least 40 years, I think. Right, Rajan. This is actually very similar to, I think, the the engine that a lot of fire movement uh, individuals use. Right, it's the four percent rule, quote unquote. Essentially, the way you must inv- you've got to invest your portfolio or your assets into uh, and get a certain level of growth. So whether it's between six and eight percent on a on an average basis and an annual basis, if you are only drawing down four percent your money is still growing. So you shouldn't, your money shouldn't disappear on you and you could be able to continue using that. Uh, But this is contingent on the fact that you cannot be investing in safe assets anymore, right? You can't be doing fixed deposits. You can't be putting all your money in FD. You have to have have some growth in your portfolio. Uh, Do I have that about right? Uh, I only have two bones of contention, but in general, you're spot on. Number one, um, you know from multiple discussions that I am massively anti-fire. <laughs> yes. Fire stands for financial independence, retire early, something like that. And um, I'm all for financial independence. Uh, many years ago, I created something called the Rajan David Dawson Blueprint for Financial Freedom. If you achieve financial freedom, then obviously you have achieved financial independence. I love the idea. I hate the idea of retiring early because of longevity risk, which is the greatest risk that today's and tomorrow's retirees will will face. So for those who right now are angry with me because they are rabid fire fans, I can handle the disagreement. Um, But I would say basically, yes, continue down your path of uh, working from a written budget work very, very hard to increase your active income while you're working. Um, Don't be excessively tight on yourself, but build up a surplus and flow that into a diversified portfolio. Now, Roshan, you mentioned that uh, based on the scenario I built, does this mean that people don't put their money in fixed deposits? Well, I put my money in fixed deposits, at least some. And uh, the issue is not putting everything into high-risk investments. The issue is gradually educating yourself so that you can intelligently ratchet yourself up or bootstrap yourself up uh, the risk-reward spectrum. So what is the, let me ask you, what is the safest, lowest-yielding asset class that people generally talk about? U.S. Treasuries, I would presume. If I, do I have uh, that? Correct. Uh, <laughs> yes, you're, you're actually you're spot on. Uh, basically, as far as U.S. Treasuries go, there are four types. You've got U.S. Treasury notes, U.S. T-bills, U.S. T-bonds, and then something called TIPS, which are very cool. U.S. Uh, Treasury inflation-protected securities. So, very good, cool. But actually, I was aiming for an even simpler answer, and it was just cash. Oh, cash right. Is <laughs> cash, is the, cash is the asset class that gives you the lowest yield. So, because most people start from ground zero and then build up, save your money first, just put your money in the bank, save it first. Then educate yourself and start thinking about how maybe money markets, which would money market funds, which still represent uh, exposure to cash, how those work. Learn about bond funds, gradually ratchet up your risk uh, appetite and your risk, your knowledge about um, uh, risk calibrated investments. 
Then as you go up the ladder, learn about maybe preferred securities, learn about REITs, a real estate investment trust, learn about the, the benefits of, of being invested in the domestic equity market. Always start with the domestic equity market before you start with the international equity market. Uh, and then look up, look at international equity markets and then maybe even commodities, which can either be very low risk or very high risk, depending on where you are in the cycle. But all of this self-education takes time. So anyone listening who feels, you know, maybe I better start taking personal responsibility, I would invite that individual to spend maybe the next three years. Don't freak out, especially if you're young enough. Spend the next three years just learning. Um, and as you begin to learn, then gradually add on uh, risky or riskier investments as you begin to learn and understand. Never, ever, ever, ever invest in anything that you cannot intuitively understand. If you're going to work with a, a licensed financial planner, if you're going to work with a financial advisor, make sure that that person is completely focused on educating you and not trying to wow you with her great knowledge or his great knowledge and trying to confuse you to the point of signing a form. Don't do that. It is your money. Nobody cares for your money more than you do. So during the retirement phase of my life, let's say I've, got, I've gotten a certain uh, nest egg and I'm using the the uh, the four percent, five percent rule thereabouts. I'm drawing on that amount of money, and I'm doing the capital preservation thing. What is the targeted uh, average annual return for my funds in retirement? Uh, for your portfolio in retirement. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for my clients, putting together a diversified portfolio that meets people's needs, that optimizes, not maximizes, but optimizes returns by allowing you to handle the level of risk that you have, all of this, I think, actually helps. So the returns uh, on a blended basis, ideally, uh, should be in the 5 to 7% range. And so with a 4% drawdown, you should have a flow back with a little bit of reinvestment. Rajan, the two main things here with regards to retirement were the capital preservation model, the capital liquidation model, both of which assume a rate of return during retirement and that you will be drawing down this money over time. Whether anything is left after the fact, that's the difference between these two models. But I want to quickly touch on how you talk to your clients about hedging against healthcare risks because that's a big issue, right? A lot of times, healthcare can really throw off your plans in retirement, uh, whether it's a medical procedure or even uh, assisted living or things like that. How do you guide your clients with regards to hedging against health risks? Um, even before I begin any in-depth discussion about having savings and investment portfolios, I actually talk to them about what's required to have a complete personal financial plan. That complete personal financial plan, as you and I have discussed many times, has three interlocking parts. Wealth protection, wealth accumulation, and wealth distribution. What you asked um, is smack dab in the terrain of wealth protection. Wealth protection is taken care of primarily by insurance, not exclusively, but primarily. And each of us would want to seriously consider whether we need four different types of insurance policies. We need to have life insurance, which is really death insurance, to be able to take care of people who depend upon us. Um, even more important, I would imagine right now, than life insurance is actually health insurance, medical insurance. And so I would recommend that people actually have CI, critical illness cover, and also have HNS, 
hospitalization and surgical, and conceivably maybe have personal accident PA. But you're absolutely right. Insurance is there as a risk transference mechanism. And what we're doing is we're transferring that risk of a catastrophic economic event, wiping us out. We're transferring that risk from ourselves to an insurance company. And the consideration for that contract, which allows for the transfer, is the premium that we pay. So insurance is very, very important. So I think you're spot on. I completely agree with you. It is crucial. Well, we've talked about retirement and yes, it is a realistic notion, although it requires work and a bit of risk taking. It's important to hedge against the risks that we can. It's not all about accumulation and building that wealth. It's also about protection. And on that note, Rajan, always a pleasure speaking with you on the show. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Roshan. All the best. I've been speaking with Rajan Devadasan, CEO of RD Wealth Creation and Licensed Financial Planner with Manual Life Investment Management in Malaysia, Berhad. And you've been listening to Ring It and Sense, the show that's all about personal finance. I'm Roshan Kanesan for BFM 89.9. Ring It and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.